Um, I'm going to get into the message today. And um, today's message, before we get into it, um, I, I'm going to play an optical illusion game with you. I like these things. And these are three that you've probably seen before. So just bear with me if you know the answers. Don't spoil it for everyone. But um, I'm going to give three different um, illusions. And, and we're, and we're going to look at Let's look at the first one. Ready? Um, the first one there. Oh, you've all seen, how many of you have seen this one? Just raise your hand. All right. A lot of you have. But when you look at this one right off the bat, what do you see? What's the first thing you see? Huh? You see a young girl, right? Good-looking girl, maybe. I don't know. You can't really see her face, but she's looking that way, her back with a little thing on her head, a little hat. Um, but what's real cool about this picture is it, it, it brings forth an a optical illusion, you, something that's there that right off the bat you probably don't see. I'm not sure which one you saw right off the bat. Most of you said I saw a young girl. But if you notice there, there's an older woman as well. I don't know if you guys caught it. If I had one of those little red lasers, I would point at it. But if you look at the lady's, uh, the young girl's ear... That is the eye of the old lady. If you look at the young girl's chin, that is the nose of the old lady. And then if you look at the necklace with the, on the neck of the young girl with the necklace, that is her mouth um, right there. How many of you saw the old lady? You guys all saw the old lady? So it all depends how you look at it, right? It's like life. It's like life. I could say, how was your day today? You could have the same day as I did, and you could say, well, my day was great, man. God was good. He showed up in these areas. And then you could ask someone else the same exact uh, situation that they went through. How was your day? My day was horrible. I mean, I'm so mad. I'm so angry. I went through this. It's all the way you look at it. Sometimes you've, you know the phrase, right? Some of us look at life, um, at the glass that's filled with water ha um, halfway. We say, well, life is what? What's one way we look at it? How's the glass? The glass is halfway full. The other people say, well, well the glass is halfway empty. It's all the way you look at it. It's how you perceive it. It's how your eyes look into life, look into things. And right there, you probably saw a younger lady. Maybe you saw an older lady. We're going to go um, to the second optical illusion, play a little game here. This one's my favorite one. How many of you have seen this one? No one? Yes. All right. What do you see here? Yeah, just coffee beans. Coffee beans. You see, your eyes get so distracted here um, with all the coffee beans because you know what happens? Can I share what happens to you in your brain? When you start looking at, at, at something like this, you get fixed into the patterns. And you just look at patterns, and all you see is patterns. But if I were to take you away from the pattern of your thinking and cause you to look at something that's there the whole time, away from your pattern, you're going to notice right here in the bottom, right above me, there's a man's face, and he's looking right at us. You guys see it? How many of you saw it? Because you're good, you know? All right, all five of you said it. Now everyone's hands are going up. I meant, how many of you saw it before I told it to you? So there's a guy looking at you, but you were so caught up in your mind with the pattern of the picture that you didn't see the reality that there was a man's face there. Life is like that, you know? You get so caught up with the pattern of life that you lose out on the reality of what God has said about you, amen? And the reality that God has laid out in front of you. But I'm caught up in my pattern, Lord. And God's like, yeah, but I'm caught up in revealing to you the reality that is I, that is me. And then we go to the third one. And then there's this, this is the famous elephant. I can't stand this picture. I can't stand it. You want to know why I can't stand this one? Because I still don't know the answer. My mind is a mess when it comes to this one. This elephant, is it missing a leg? Is it or is it not? We don't know. The artist, what he does here, he confuses his viewer and he changes the way that our brain is used to seeing things. It seems the more that you look at the elephant the more confusing it gets. So before the message, before me coming up here, if you wonder, what took Pastor Rico so long to get up here? I was in the back trying to figure out this picture. Put it back up. 
And I couldn't figure out now. I'm bugged out, bugged up, and now I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with his tail? What's wrong with the last foot? It kind of dies out there. I don't know, man. I still can't figure that one out. If any of you do, I have it saved on my iPad. See me right after the service. I'll put it on my iPad, and I want you to show me the details behind this picture. But life sometimes is like this elephant. It really is, man. Sometimes it just confuses us, the way we see things. And God's like, it's there. And you're like, but I don't see it. It's like, it's there. You're just so confused with the way you think, the way you live. I'm going to jump into a message, and it's titled this. You could take that off because I know it's going to be distracting, and you're not going to be able to hear anything I'm saying. So there you go. The message is titled this, and you can write this down in your notes. And this is um, church, so everyone should take notes when you come to church. If you don't, today we love you. But next week, if you don't, we might love you a little bit less. So. <laughs> but start taking notes in church. It's important. Okay, to take notes. But um, what, the, the, let me give you the topic. The title of the message is titled, I'll See It When I Believe It. I went to a Miami Heat game weeks ago, and I parked my car um, in front of this building. And when I parked and I looked to my left, I see this yellowish building. I took a picture of it, and I put it up on social media. And the, the, the words on the building said, I'll see it when I believe it. And then it had, like, graffiti in the bottom. But I love that phrase, and I took a picture of it. And I looked at that, and I knew one day I'm going to preach on this. And how true is that about life? How true is that about our walk with the Lord? Now, I titled, I'll see it, well, I'll see it when I believe it. Because the reality of the world that we live in is this is how man says it. Man says, if I can see it, then I'll believe it, right? I'll believe it when I see it. That's how man normally thinks. But God looks at man's formula of saying things, and God says it totally different, and God says it the way we titled it. If you just believe, then you will be able to see. And for so many, this principle is hard to live by. That, that if I were to believe, then I will see. You know, as I, as I started to look at that phrase, I, I started to think about my life and probably some of your lives, and, and this is what I came up with, and I believe this, that there is a common factor in which makes it basically impossible for some of us to attain this. To attain this, I'll see it when I believe it phrase. And that common factor that I truly believe, I, I believe it's fear. Fear is a common factor in most of our lives. And when you look at fear and we talk about believing and we talk about faith, you're going to notice that it's totally, totally opposite of one another. You guys know what I'm talking about? Or not? But Hebrews 11.1, 1, uh, the author starts to describe the word faith. In the NLT, he says it this way, faith is the confidence that we hope for. That we hope for that will actually happen. It gives us an assurance about things that we cannot see. That's a good definition of faith. And that's what faith is about. It's to believe. It's to have confidence in. It's to hope for that that something will actually happen. It's to be assured in it, though we currently, we currently cannot see it. So... Look at my life and I pray for a lot of things or I hope for a lot of things. And many times I don't see a lot of things. And because I don't see a lot of things, I begin to disbelief in those things. I begin to lack belief, lack faith. And then I recognized my life. And I don't know if any of you uh, could say, Pastor Rico, it's like that in my life as well. And I say, so how does the enemy attack us? And how does the enemy attack you? And the truth is he brings fear. 
That's what he does. He brings fear, and one of the definitions that caught my eye in fear is this, and, and, and I'll say the two words that caught my eye. It's being heavily concerned and having anxiety. And when we are heavily concerned and when we are filled with anxiety, they serve as an alarm to remind us that we are not trusting in our God, but that instead we are relying and trusting in ourselves. And that's what anxiety does. Do not raise your hand. But how many of you suffer and struggle with anxiety? How many of you struggle with, struggle with this mindset that you're always concerned, you're always worried? And then all over Scripture, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go to all the verses. But it says to not be anxiety, to be filled with anxiety. It tells you not to worry. One passage is so beautiful. And the Lord says, I, I, I feed the birds. I take care of the lilies in the ground. I take care of all my creation. What makes you think that I will not take care of you? Do not worry for tomorrow or what will tomorrow bring. Awesome passage in the Gospels. All over Scripture, the Lord wants us to know, don't fear. Trust. Believe. And I look at the word fear, and the truth is fear comes differently to each one of us. Fear doesn't come the same for all of us. It'll come different. Different shapes, different sizes, different tones, different voices. But there's fear there. Fear comes with one objective as you look at fear. And what is that one objective? To destroy our faith. Why, Pastor Rico, why do I struggle with fear? Because it wants to destroy your faith. Do you understand that? If you live in faith today, if you stand in faith today, if you say you walk in this walk of faith today, then you've probably gone through an episode where fear has tried to attack your life and to separate you from the faith that you have in Jesus Christ your Lord. I wonder how many of you could be honest and say, man, I've gone through that. I've been there. I've struggled in that area. And as long as you could admit that, know this, that fear is and fear will always be the enemy of faith. Fear and faith do not get along. Fear and faith do not go together. Fear and faith cannot be blended in an individual's life. Someone once said this, fear imprisons, faith liberates. Fear paralyzes, faith empowers. Good quote. Fear disheartens, faith encourages. Fear sickens, faith heals. Fear makes useless, faith makes serviceable. Awesome quote. Totally opposites. Totally different. Different purposes behind each one. So I ask you, what is God calling you to believe in? What is God calling you to believe for today? You might not see it yet. You might not be there yet. But you know deep down inside your heart, he's called you to something. He's called you for something. I wonder how many of you could admit that. And he's telling you today that you'll see it when you what, church? When you what? When you believe it. And you might be struggling with this phrase of, I'll see it when I believe it because, because of fear. And you're in constant struggle in the way that you think because fear has taken over your life and it's now affected all of your being. And, and because of the way that you think affects how you feel. 
And how you think and feel affects the way that you live. And then the way that you live affects you from having any kind of assurance of things happening in your life that you hope for that yet you cannot see. It's like, it's like a domino effect. If it's one thing, then the next thing's going to happen, then the next thing's going to happen, the next thing's, and then you're in this rut. And you say, how do I get out of it? And we go back to the root. We go back to the basics and say, where's your faith and why are we filled with fear? Why? So we find ourselves in our lives when this is us. We find ourselves having ups and we find ourselves having downs. And then there are some highs, you know? What do I mean by highs, these ups? I'm talking about there are some faith moments. Have you, have you ever had some faith moments? I, I've had the ability um, uh, to pray for sick people and see them get healed. I've had the ability uh, to preach the gospel uh, and see no one get saved. And then I've seen, I have the ability to preach the gospel and seen many get saved in one shot. I've, I've been able to see faith uh, take its form and faith, and I've experienced the ups of faith. I've, I've experienced the mountaintops of faith. But can I be very honest with you? I've also experienced the very bottom lows of fears, the valley lows of fears, you know? When you're walking down those valleys and you look up and you look up to the mountain where your help comes from, he's like, I was once there. And God's like, yes, you were when you were filled with Are you not living in fear? So you have these ups, you have these downs, you have these highs, you have these lows. And, and these highs are, are moments where God is showing, I am here with you, I'm for you, I'm not against you, I'm showing you my faithfulness. But then we have these lows, and these lows that we have in our lives come quick. They come quick, and most of your life is spent here in these lows, if this is the way you think. They're spending these lows, and your mentality becomes this. I'll believe it, I'll believe it when I see it. And the truth is, you were never designed to think that way. You were never called to think that way. And, and, and God wants you back, and he wants you back thinking the way that he has called you to think, and the way that he has called us to think is that I will see it when I actually what? Believe it, not I will believe it when I see it. And I've done that, and I've said that, and I believe that, that I am guilty of saying this phrase. Oh, so-and-so, you know, the... God is really doing a work in their lives. I'll believe it when I see it. And God just dis disciplines you, right? He rebukes you and says, no, you fool. You, you believe it so that you can see it. And, and that's such a true statement in Scripture that we're going to see today. Augustine says this. Awesome quote. I'm going to quote him. He says, faith is to believe what you do not see. We, we've kind of talked about that. But look what he says next. And the reward of this faith is to see what you believe. Isn't that a good quote? Like, like just, just grasp what he's saying here. Faith. Faith is to believe in something you don't see. But that's not the reward. The, the true reward is when, when you finally see that thing that you've been believing for your whole life. Uh, just recently, I've, I've heard testimonies of, of prayers and of, of us praying for people. Us, man, I'm talking about anointing people and years of prayer. And just in a matter of a week, I, I've gotten phone calls and, hey, you'll never guess what's happened to us. And families and the miracles that God is doing. And, and, and right then and there, as I developed this message, I'm thinking about certain families that I've talked to throughout the week and how God is doing miracles. And it's hit me. Yes, I had faith that what they've been praying for was going to happen in their lives. I haven't seen it for years that we've been praying 
praying for as a church. But now that it's happened, my reward and my joy is to finally see the fruit of the thing which we believed in, in Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's what eternity is about. If you ask me today, Pastor Rico, tell me what heaven is like. I'm going to give you definitions of the Bible and what the Bible tells me heaven is like. But I don't know a lick of what heaven is like. I just know it talks about streets of gold and it talks about these angels and it talks about these rubies and the sea of glass and this amazing throne room. But if you want me to get any more details than what scripture tells me, I have no idea. So then you ask me, well, then how come you keep serving and how come you believe and how come you continue? And I will just look at you and say this, because there's a faith that is inside me that longs for the thing that I cannot see. And my reward is not in that thing, but my reward is when I finally get to see eternity because I've believed it for my whole life. That's my faith being rewarded. I'm telling you, I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for the day that many of you who are in God's will, who are praying for certain things, live out the reward. Reward that you see what you believe. Scripture reminds us of faith and sight. I shared this verse last week in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And it's a verse that every preacher probably talks about when they talk about faith or when they talk about believing, when they talk about seeing. And you already know where I'm going. And Paul says, for we walk by what? Faith. We walk by faith. And not by what? Sight. Um, you guys know, and I preached on uh, about, I incorporated him in my message last week, my son. And as he sleeps in the other room, sometimes he'll cry at four in the morning or, or whatnot. And we have to kind of get out of bed and get him and feed him and... But one of the most hardest things is to wake up from the bed at that time, and then it's pitch black. You're trying to see everything, but you got to get there quick. And my wife's like, hurry up, hurry up, go get them. And I'm in the process. And then there's toys in the room, and there's fern, and just bah, boom. I mean, and you start hitting things on your toes. And I remember there was one episode when I nailed something. She goes, oh, I heard that. And, I was like, and I'm in the bed going, ha, ha, ha. And I'm rubbing my toes, and I'm rubbing my toes. And she's like, man, I heard that. Are you okay? I'm like, yes, I'm okay. And, and, and I'm like, you should have gotten up and gotten him, you know. And I'm rubbing my toes. And I'm like, shh, shh. you guys been there? <laughs> like the world is going to end when you stub your toes? Man, how much easier would it be to walk by, by sight, to have a flashlight? You know, one of, the, one of the coolest gadgets I think that the iPhone has that I've mastered, ever since having a kid, never used it. But now that I have a kid, you will be amazed how much I use this thing. How many parents know exactly what I'm talking about? I just walk around the house like this now. Because don't turn on any lights. Let's not wake him up. But I have my flashlight on my phone. And I don't have to carry a flashlight. My phone is good enough. And, and this has become one of the amazing gadgets that iPhone has, has brought to us. And now I use this at night. When my wife's like, hurry up, go get him. I just take out my phone first. Thing. And I have to make sure that the light shines the steps before me. And many of us, we would never take a step, a step forward if we don't know where that step is going to lead to or that step is gonna, uh, where that step is going to go or where it's going to um, confront. And here's Paul, and he says, hey, we walk by faith, not by sight. Sometimes God's going to call us to take a walk, and you're not going to understand where you're going to walk into. You're not going to understand where you're going to go, but don't worry about it. Because what keeps you together is the things that you, watch this, what keeps you together are not the things that you can see. What keeps you together are the things that you cannot see. 
The message grabs 2 Corinthians 5, 6 and the surrounding verses, 5 and 7. And look how, he, look, look, how the, look how the message translation puts it. It's funny, but there's truth in this. It's amazing. Watch this. He says, that's why we live with such good cheer. You won't see us drooping our heads or, or dragging our feet. Cramped conditions here don't get us down. They only remind us of the spacious living conditions ahead. I had this part underlined. And bold, and it says this, it's what we trust in but don't yet see that keeps us going. Isn't that good? Do you suppose that a few ruts in the road or rocks are already, for my case, stubbed toes in the path are going to stop us? When the time comes, we'll be plenty ready to exchange exile for homecoming. And in this letter, as it's translating Paul, I love that one phrase, it's what we trust in but don't yet see that keeps us going. I want to share a story with you, and if you have your Bibles, or if you don't, shame on you, but bring it next week. We still love you. Remember that. But if you have your Bible, open up or write in your notes John chapter 20, and we're going to read 24 real quick. It's a very known section of Scripture. Before you don't start reading it yet, before you start reading it, let's, let's summarize what's happened here. Jesus has been walking about three, three and a half years with his disciples. As he's been dis- discipling them and training them and equipping them, he's warning them in the, in the process, hey, I'm going to die one day. I'm not always going to be here with you, like physically. So, so like, be ready. And, and he's warning them, well, guess what? The, the day comes for Jesus to die on the cross. Bear, he was buried and all that stuff. But then he resurrects from that tomb, from his grave. As he resurrects from that grave, he sticks around. He doesn't go to sit at the right hand of the Father yet. He appears to many witnesses throughout this time before his ascension. So from his resurrection to his ascension, he's, he's showing up to his disciples and he's giving them some last commands. He's showing up to people, okay? And there's like 500 witnesses that, that can witness that Jesus showed up to them. So guess what happens? He shows up to the disciples and they run to this guy named Thomas, one of the disciples. And like, Tom, Tom, you're never going to guess what happened. And he's like, what? You know, they were all scared. They were all timid. Actually, if you study scripture, they're all hiding in a room together because they thought that now they were going to die next. Wouldn't you? If your leader was just caught and you know that they're going to kill everyone that had anything to do with that leader. So now they're all hiding in a secluded room so that no one would know where they're at. Shh, don't even go outside to the market. Be quiet. Don't make any noise. Turn off the lights at night. No one can know we're in this building. They're scared for their lives because they thought now they were going to die. So, so they're, they're running away from people. And here comes the disciples and they tell John, we saw Jesus. And he's like, how? He's dead. He's like, no, he's not in the grave anymore. We saw him. He appeared to us. He gave us a command. And, and that's, where we, that's where we pick up on. In chapter 20, verse 24, it says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, He was now with the others when Jesus came. So they told him, we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. And look at Thomas' reply. He says what? I won't believe it until I see it. Wow, so many of us would say the same thing. Tom, we've seen Jesus. He's like, no way. I'll believe it when I'll, that's what he said. I'll believe it when I see it. No, Thomas, you got to believe us. He's like, no, trust me. You want me to believe it? Well, let me see it. Let me see the nail wounds in his hands, he says. Let me put my fingers into them. Let me place my hand into the wound of his side. 
I won't believe this until I see it. So, so you guys are lying to me. You guys are messing with me. You know that I'm terrified and I'm scared. You're trying to make me feel better. Why are you doing this to me? You know, mentally, I'm not up for these games. I'm not going to believe this until I see it. So what happens? Eight days later, the disciples are again together. And Thomas now is there with them. Scripture says that the doors were shut. They were locked. And suddenly, just like before, Jesus appears in this shut building. First off, if a door is shut, it's for safety and protection. At night, we make sure every window, every door, everything is shut because that's what people do, I would think. Okay, so that's what we do. That's what they did. They shut doors because they wanted safety. They would want to die themselves. So Jesus appears to them and standing before them, he, they're all scared and they're all nervous. And he says, peace be with you. Have peace, man. And Thomas, he looks at him and says, Thomas, do me a favor. And he grabs him. And he says, put your finger here. Put your finger here. That's, that's crazy, right? Put your finger in this hole. Put your hand in my side where they speared me. And then he tells Thomas, he says, stop being faithless. I'm tired of this unbelief, Thomas. He says, believe. Believe already. When Thomas saw that it was truly Jesus in verse 28, he says, my Lord and my God. He begins to worship him. But I love what Jesus says next in verse 29. Look what he says. So Jesus looks at Thomas and he says, you believe because you have what? You have seen. But look what he says next. But blessed, blessed are those who believe without seeing. I'm just hoping right now that you guys are getting the revelation. And how God is calling you to live. I really do hope. Are you Thomas? Do you have the heart and the mindset, the mentality of, well, I'm not going to believe that my family will ever until I see it. Well, I don't believe financially I will ever until I see it. Well, I don't think God could ever until I see it. And here is the Lord Jesus telling Thomas, you only believe me because you saw it. He says, but you want to know who's more blessed than you, Thomas? The ones who believe but yet don't see. That's amazing. Is this you today? Do we have to see in order to believe? Or is your believing, is your believing I'm sorry, connected to your seeing? Because if your believing is connected to your seeing, if you need to see in order to believe, the truth is as you study scripture, this walk is going to be very difficult for us. Very, very difficult for us. Because this walk is about where faith takes you, man. And now as I get into, into, into my heart here, and really what I really, what God put in my heart to, to want to share with you, I hope you catch this. It's a faith walk and where faith takes you. That's why it's called the faith walk, the walk of faith. Very soon in our church, we're going to have a series, and it's going to be titled The Unknown. And the reason why I want to title it The Unknown because that's exactly what serving Jesus is all about. Listen, serving him is about being taken to the unknown. When you serve God, you're not going to always know where God is taking you or what God is doing. But you're commanded to do one thing, to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't, don't, you're not going to see the whole puzzle. But he, in his time, will give you each piece to put in each place. For some of us, that's hard to accept. We like to know where we are going and 
to be ready for what tomorrow will bring. We like to have control. Anyone here? Control freak. Some of us don't fly. Listen, it's not because you're scared of flying. You could care less. You jump off buildings. You jump off buildings. That's bad. Don't jump off buildings. You jump off planes. You're not scared of height. You're not scared of flying. But some of you don't fly because you're terrified of the fact that as you're flying, you have no control of flying. You have to trust in another person to control that vehicle. That's a scary place to be at. So Christ here, we read scripture, we follow scripture, and we see that he calls us and he tells us what he told the disciples, what he told the rich young ruler, and what he tells anyone else who wants to follow him. And what is it? Surrender all. Drop it all. And what? And follow. Anyone here today? And follow me. And that's what Jesus always tells his people. Follow me. Drop it. Surrender. Give to the poor. Get rid of everything. Follow me. As I read statements like that in scripture, I asked this question. And what does follow me, that phrase, follow me, what does that entitle? Because I don't know, and I'm sure you don't know. And we don't know what follow me might entitle when Jesus tells us follow me. He doesn't tell us. He doesn't reveal it all to us. Each day is a new blessing. Each step is a new step. Listen, every breath, just as he would want it, is trusting in him. That's what he wants. When he tells us to follow him, who knows where that takes us. And for some of us, that's hard. We rather live believing in him. And that he is Lord. And that we will, we will even live with that knowledge that he's God. But we won't ever be able to live in the capacity that he desires for us to live in. All because we will never let go of what he's calling us to let go of. Why? Because we can't even fathom. Fathom the thought of someone else having control of our lives other than us. Guys, we're talking about God here. And yet we don't give him control. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'm going to take his quote. Look what he says. He says, only the believer is obedient. And only the obedient believe. And that's where God wants us. He wants us to be obedient. And in our obedience, the faith will begin to grow. Faith will begin to be stirred up. So what is God calling you to believe today? What is he calling you to believe for today? Know that God wants you to see it. But as he wants you to see it, you can never take away this. He wants you to also believe it. And you will not always understand. You will not always get it. You will not always have the answers. I'm going to steal one of Augustine's quotes again before going into a scripture in Proverbs. And he says this. He says, seek not to understand so that you may believe, but believe so that you may understand. And some of our walks, some of our relationships with God, it's, Lord, you want me to believe in this? Then let me understand why this is happening to me. 
Then let me understand why, why this just took place in my life. Well, let me understand why you've allowed this to occur in me. And God is, is almost telling you this. No, it's, it's when you believe where your faith is aroused and then you will understand. In Christ and as you believe in Jesus is where then he will bring things to understanding in your life. You know, there are things in my life that I have never understood. But once I'm in Christ, then Christ reveals them and causes me to understand. Have you ever been there before? And that's exactly what Augustine is talking about there. Proverbs reminds us of this when he says, To trust in the Lord, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, with all of your heart. Remember that? Do not depend on your own understanding. He says, seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. He will show you. You don't understand, but he will reveal it to you. That's what he's saying there. He will, he will give it to you one step at a time. But what do I got to do? Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Not on your own understanding, but in his understanding. Seek his will. This passage in Proverbs is about seeing it when you first believe in it. Uh, how many of you have heard of Hudson Taylor? Hudson Taylor was a missionary. And God had a call in his life to take the gospel to China. And as he was in China, things got real difficult in China. Things got really hard uh, for Hudson Taylor's life. And just to spare a lot of details, I don't know if a lot of people thought that Hudson Taylor was going to make it. I'm sure a lot of people would question Hudson Taylor when he got there. And whether he really heard from God or was he acting on emotion. Did he really hear the voice of God or was Hudson Taylor just trying to be some rebel for God. So Hudson Taylor, he's writing to his wife in one of the most difficult times in his ministry and his work as a missionary in China. And as he writes, he writes this phrase that is super powerful if you catch what he's saying. And he says this to her. He says, we have 25 cents. And then look what he says next. And all the promises of God. When you read a statement like that, I don't know if you catch what he's saying here. He's like, we don't have much here. Uh, financially, I really don't know if we're going to make it tomorrow. What do you mean, babe? We, I, we only have 25 cents in our bank account. I got to feed some orphans. I got to pay some locals here. I have no idea how I'm going to eat or feed the people around me tomorrow. Baby, I only have 25 cents. But his next sentence is the most powerful part. But don't ever get this wrong, though, baby. We have all the promises of God. What is Hudson Taylor really saying there? He's like, I have no idea how I'm going to live tomorrow. I have no idea how I'm going to get by. I don't even know how I'm going to confront these people. Actually, I don't, have, I don't have the finances and I don't have what it takes to get through this day. So, so, sweetheart, pray for us if you have time there uh, where you're at in America having a great time. But, but we're really struggling here in China. But then he goes on, he says, but through this difficult moment, through the, through the answers that I do not have, through this understanding, I know God's called me to China. And I don't know that now that I'm serving him in China and I don't have nothing to offer why he's brought me here. Though I don't understand why I'm in this predicament, I stand in all the promises of God, none the least. What got Hudson Taylor going 
was not what he saw because he did what he saw was not much. What got Hudson Taylor going was what he could not see because he recognized that what he could not see were plenty and the promises of God were yes and amen for him. And that's what kept Hudson Taylor going. And you look at the life of Hudson Taylor and you look at men like Hudson Taylor and he was a man who did not live by the theory of, I will believe when I see it. Because if he really believed when he sees it, he would have quit. And he would have gone home on the next flight. Actually, I don't know how he would have done that. He didn't have money to get home on the next flight or the next anything, boat. So how was he going to do it? Hudson Taylor didn't live by that theory. He lived by the promises of God, by the, by the word of God, by the... Things he could not see. He believed. And because he believed, he knew that one day I'm going to see this. He offered up his life as a missionary to the people of China. Why would you go to China, huh? Well, he says, because God's called me there. Hoping that one day he would see salvation in a country. Hoping that one day he would see what he had believed. And I thank God for great men with great faith. Men like Hudson Taylor, who took the gospel eventually to China and is responsible today, 2014, for Christianity in that country by the work of Hudson Taylor. Imagine if he would have given up because of what he saw. But he kept on going because in what he believed in. Do you serve God because of what you see? Or do you serve God because of what you believe in? That's it. That's it. God doesn't have to do one more miracle in my life. He doesn't have to speak one more word in my heart. But I know that God is real. And I could believe him for the rest of my life, and that will get me to keep serving him. You know how many people I've seen fill up these seats, and then they walk out of these seats because God never gave them what they wanted to see. They lived for expectations from God. They lived because they wanted to receive things that they wanted to see. But I look at some of the ones that have been here and have fought through, and I say, truly, these are the people that they continue to serve God, not because of what they see, because no one could strip them from that in which they believe. That should be you. That should be us. What keeps you going? If you guys remember the story of, and I'm going to wrap it up in a few minutes. If you remember the story of um, Abraham, uh, he's walking. God says, take your son and go up to the mountain. I'm going to, remember that story? You're going to sacrifice your son. That's, that's not good. Like I, I did a whole 50-minute message on Jesus yesterday. I used my son as an example of how God spoke to me. And then imagine the next day God's like, hey, I want you now to... Like, I don't know how Abraham does this. And in this process, he says, um, go up there. You're going to sacrifice your son unto me. And he starts taking this walk with his son, and you, you know the story with his servants. In chapter 22, look what happens in verse 5, just to remind you. He looks at his servants, and he says, stay here with the donkey. He says, the boy and I are going to travel a little farther. We're going to worship over there, and then we are going to come back to you. So they're traveling, and <laughs> Abraham is preparing his, um, his altar where he's going to put the offering and kill the animal. 
So they have the wood, they have the altar, they're getting the fire started, you know. They're getting ready. And um, Isaac, the young boy, clicks in his brain, right? And he's like, um, Dad? Dad? And he's like, yes, son. What is it? There's something wrong with this picture, Dad. And then verse 7 and 8 shows us. He says, um, you know, I see that there's wood. I see there's a fire. I see you built an altar. But, Daddy, um, we're missing the sheep that we're going to offer up to God. There's something wrong here. And the dad looks at the son and says something so amazing. He says, sons, God's going to provide. Son, God is going to provide the sheep for the offering. And then it says, and they both walked on together. If you study the rest of that passage, it's amazing because he's about to kill him. And as he's about to kill him, an angel of the Lord stops him and says, stop. Look to the side. There's your sacrifice. Unloose your son. Put that on top of the altar. Sacrifice the offering. And they both lived and walked on forever. I preached on this one time, and I said, I bet you this was an experience in Isaac's life that he never forgot that, that concreted his faith, right? I know it would have been mine if I was with my dad when I was young, and I see someone put a knife right to me and an angel. I know it would have done some amazing things to me. And as I'm remembering the life of Abraham and Isaac, I remember 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul. And Paul says this in his writing. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen. But we fix our eyes on what is what? Unseen. Because what is seen, church, is what? It's temporary. But what is unseen, that's eternal. I want to live with that faith. I want to be like Abraham. I want to believe it so that I can see it. I want to stop living a life of, well, I'll see it when I believe it. Some of you are such a mess up here, starting with me, because you continue with the mentality of, well, I'll see it, and when I see it, that's when I'm going to believe God. And God's like, it's not what I called you. That's not how I made you to think. Peter, in his letter, in chapter 1, verse 8 of 1 Peter, reminds us of something so powerful. And it's this. He says, you love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. He's like, church, this is how you live. You don't see things, but you continue to love him. You don't see him now, but you continue to trust him. So what do I do, Peter, as I'm waiting? Well, you rejoice. And you rejoice with glory. An inexpressible joy comes out of you. Well, how do you want me to live like that? By believing first, not by seeing first. You walk by faith, not by sight. Be filled. Be this person. 
I don't know how many of you were here for our Christmas candlelight service, but I talked about the nobleman. And in John chapter 4, he leaves his town and walks, remember, to get to Jesus. A long, long journey. And he says, sir, I know you heal. Come home with me so you could heal my son. He's dying. This was a noble man, a powerful dude. A powerful man who at his command, people had to do what he said. Come with me, Lord. Remember that service? And the Lord looks at him and says, your son's fine, man. Your son's okay. He probably wanted to fight Jesus right there. Trust me, he's not. His fever's gone up. He's shaking in his bed. I don't even know if he's died yet. You need to come back. And Jesus says, no, he's fine. I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus will always see things different than the way you see them. And praise God that you serve a God like that. Because if Jesus all the way sees things the way that I see them, then I'm a mess. And I serve a God who is a mess. But I love that he says, for God, man, God, a man looks at the outward appearance of man. But I look at the inner man, at the heart of man. And we remind us of scriptures of, of the new king and Samuel anointing him. And every single brother of warrior, of intellect, and of wisdom is brought before him. And Samuel says, none of these are fit to be king. In the Old Testament, Jesse says, how dare you say that about my sons? Each one of these sons are capable of being a king. He says, there's a son that you are not showing me of. Where is he? He says, you mean David? You don't want David. He says, bring him to me. And many of us sitting here are Davids. There's not much that we can offer. There's not much in the public that we can give. But no one knows what you do in the secret. You're fighting lions and you're fighting bears and you're doing some amazing things. And while man looks at your outward exterior, God looks at your heart and says, though they look good, his heart is right before me. And David begins to walk, probably with a slingshot and some rocks. How stupid. Have a sword, son. You fight lions and bears for goodness sakes a slingshot you miss the lion's gonna devour you but that's the problem with David's they don't miss because the reliance is on God you see you might swing a sword and you might miss their neck a hundred times but I sling a rock and I knock the head of giants on my first try how can David do what none of the other brothers were able to do? I'm going to tell you why. Because David did not ever have to see in order to believe. But God knew that in David's heart, because he had a heart after God's own heart, Scripture says, that David lived his life believing. And because he believed with all his life, one day he saw the glory of his faith and he sat as the throne of Israel. I'm telling you today. Calling you today. I'm telling you today. So the nobleman walks back. And you know the story. His son's healed. 
And he says, what time did he get healed? He says, around this time. And his spirit just leaped. His mind came to remembrance. And he said, that's the same time that Jesus said he lives. Thank God that he does not see things the way I see things. Can you imagine what would have happened to Israel if one of the other brothers would have become king? But God doesn't see things the way Jesse saw him. God didn't even see things the way Samuel saw him, the mighty prophet of God. Can I tell you guys a secret about God? God sees things the way he sees things. Stop trying to change God's mind about how he sees things. He'll never change his mind. That's how we live our lives. Well, Lord, if you change him, then I promise you I'm going to do this, and then I'll start going to church, and then if they come to church, and then we start doing A plus B equals C, and then C over D equals QR, and then God's like, you can't change my mind. You can't formulate a plan for me to say, oh, okay, that's a good one. I'll, I'll show you my goodness now. <laughs> God's like, before you even thought about this math equation, I saw this. I saw this. And I've planned it out for you. If God saw things the way I saw them, and you served that kind of God, you would all be a mess today. And I'd be a mess today. But God sees the way things, he sees things. Some of you are so hard to continue in the faith daily because you're living by sight. Who are you? God's like, stop living by sight. Believe. Watch you start to see it happen. But believe. 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 When the nobleman comes to Jesus, he says this, man, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no, you will by no means believe. That's what Jesus said. <laughs> nobleman, the only way you're going to believe is if you see me heal your son. Could you not have saved yourself a journey to get here and recognize that in me I would have already healed him and you didn't have to show all these actions for me to heal him? Unless I show you signs and wonders? Is that the only way that you will believe? The nobleman goes back and I could almost imagine that that phrase is, is just ringing in his head. Ringing. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Unless... And he's running back home with that thought in his mind. Unless you see signs and wonders, noble man, you will never believe. And as he's running home, there's a guy waving him down. Your son lives! Your son lives! Unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. The sign and the wonder is right before him. And when he sees the miracle of God, I love how that story ends. And this is what I didn't get to get to in the Christmas Day candlelight service. And it's this. The end of the story ends with this. And he, the nobleman himself, believed. Finally, 
And he himself, the nobleman, believed. And it doesn't stop there. It says, and his whole household believed. Everyone believed. I bet you anything, the nobleman was walking around singing songs about Jesus. And his faith was never the same again. I could almost imagine. I want to experience this belief now. I don't want to see things so I could believe. I just want to believe them whether I see them or not. Why? Because I want to experience some of heaven in my soul today. D.L. Moody says this. D.L. Moody says, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven. But a lot of faith will bring heaven to your soul. And that's what I want. I don't want a little faith. I want a lot of faith. And I struggle, church, and I'm sure you do too. And I want a lot of faith so that heaven could be in my soul. How do you go to sleep so happy? I got heaven in my soul. Why? Because I believe. But there's nothing around you that is making you believe, right? Because I don't live for the things that I see. I live for the things that you and I cannot see. That's why we're filled with joy. You get it? That's why we're filled with joy. I'm not going to keep going. Are you living with this mindset? That I'll believe it when I see it. Or are you living with the mindset of, I'll see it when I believe it. Ellie was up here today in worship. I haven't showed her any of my notes because she's not one of the people that I email my notes to. I want you guys to know something about me today. I come from roots of where we allow the spirit to flow. And I've seen some amazing things. I've seen healings. I've seen uh, demonic stuff. I've seen God deliver. I've seen some awesome stuff in my years of a Christian. And I'm very careful when someone comes up here and says, the Lord is saying this to me. And I listen to everything that they say. So if you ever feel like the Lord is saying something, you make sure it's the Lord. Amen? Because I'm looking at everything you're saying. And Ellie got up here and she had a boldness to say, is Ellie in this room? I feel bad if she is. I'm like, come on. She left. Oh, oh the kids. I'll tell her to hear the podcast. She, and and Ma, Marty was trying to close. She says, excuse me, I got something to say. <laughs> right then and there, you know what I did, right? I just opened my eyes and I said, she better say something right if she's going to cut off Marty. The deacon in training. You're not gonna just cut him off like that. And she begins to open up her words. And I took a step back. And I said, That's God. I ain't touching that. I'm gonna repeat a part of what she said. Do not fear. Do not be distracted. I've called you to walk in your faith, she said so that others can see that I live in you. Did you hear her say that? I wrote it down. As soon as she said it, I got my iPad on, I went. Wow. She said it. I think it was God preparing today's message. Don't fear. Don't be distracted. I've called you to walk in your faith so that others can see that I live in you. 
I believe that was the word of God. There's nothing that you could do to theologically change my mind that that was not a word of God. Okay? Because I know we, we have that. And I have meetings and how you theologically tell me how that doesn't work today. I'm telling you that was from God. And if God spoke that in worship and he confirms it with his word, I know there's someone here that God is speaking to. I know there's someone here. Lord, I'm called to believe so that I can see. How many of you is God speaking to today? Let's be bold. If that's you, can uh, ready? Uh, I'm going to help you. Oh, I'm getting young. If that's you today, leave it just like that. Like that. If that's you today, I'm the first one. Lord, I want to start believing so that I can see. I want people to know that you live in me because of the faith in my life. If that's you, boldly, just stand with me. I'm the first one to stand. 